Have fun. You should ask her to sing for you some more. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, again, thanks for being here, and uh, wish you want to wish you a, a Merry Christmas coming up um, for you and your family, and um, we will be heading south to warmer weather um, at the close of this service, but I ha- we have some uh, special guests coming for you these next couple weeks. Brandon James, uh, he shared for the Gideons a couple months ago. He's going to be preaching for us next week. And then Scott Plath from up north, up in Rigby, he'll be here the following week. And um, so, yeah, come on down and support them. And uh, they're, they're excited to share God's word with you. And uh, just uh, thankful that we have other brothers that are around that uh, are willing to, to fill in. And that way you guys don't get so sick of me. So I'm not preaching all the time, right? So... Uh, so come on down and support them. And uh, if everything goes well, it should be online as well. Um, so if you, again, if you are uncomfortable with the current situation, then please feel free to just watch online. But uh, just know that we miss you and we can't wait for the day that, uh, that you feel that you're able to come and worship with us again. I'm in person. Um, and I know all of you <laughs> desperately want that. So we're going to go ahead and finish our series, our Christmas series for 2020. This series has been called The Hope for the Hopeless. The Hope for the Hopeless. Um, It's pretty easy in 2020 to be discouraged. If you use your senses and your physical eyes and you see, look around this world, we have political upheaval, we have a pandemic that's um, affecting a lot of families, a lot of people, businesses, churches. All those things. Many reasons to be discouraged. Um, But the great news about being a Christian is that we have a hope that is beyond this world. And there's a hope in the promises given to us by our Lord. That salvation and eternal life is to come through what Christ has done. And as Christians, we by faith believe and receive that as truth. And that is our hope. And we've just used the last couple of weeks to go into dive into God's Word and to see different people uh, that are recorded in God's Word as those who had very many reasons to ha- be hopeless or to be discouraged, and yet they they uh, they as we looked into their lives, we saw that they had a faith in God and a faith in His promises, and that their hope was not fixed on the th- their circumstances or this world. But our hope was based on the promises of God. And as Christians, right, we, we have that hope. That this world is just temporary. That we are pilgrims just passing through. Our true life is coming. But what a message this world needs right now. The hope that is found in Jesus. And so we have the message, the hope for the hopeless in this world. And so as we celebrate and we look into God's word and we see God again and again fulfill what he has promised and we see his faithfulness demonstrated in human history again and again, it should encourage us, but also it should also encourage us to be bold in a loving way to give this message out to those across the street or your co-workers, or your family, as we sit across the Christmas 
Eve's dinner table. May it be a time that the Lord gives us courage, seasons with grace, to be able to share the good news, the hope that is found in Jesus. And so that's what we've been looking at. And so we, we the first, uh, we just have had three sermons in this uh, this December before Christmas starts. And so the first one was uh, um, Zacharias. Zacharias was, uh, uh, we saw that God had used him and, and, and we, we, I won't re-preach the sermon, but we saw him uh, see God's fulfillment and his joy and the message that, um, that John the Baptist was to prepare, that the Messiah was coming and just that, that beautiful story. And then last week we, we saw Anna and Simeon who got to see the Messiah with their own eyes. That Simeon was told by the Spirit of God that he would not die until he saw the Messiah with his own eyes. And the Spirit led him to the temple. And the Spirit told him as Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus to the temple for the dedication and the the fulfillment of the Old Testament law, the Spirit says that is the Messiah. And we saw last week Simeon raising... um, baby Jesus to the sky and saying I've seen the Messiah and Anna seeing Zacharias or Simeon do that and so this that wonderful story of hope fulfilled that their hope their faith and in, in Simeon's faith and God's promises was fulfilled it, it came, became a hope that that was just a, a hope that became realized that he was able to see the Messiah face to face and what a great story that is for us because our hope will one day be realized. We will see our Messiah face to face. There's coming a day. And that is the hope that we have. And this morning we're going to um, dive into the Old Testament. Um, a person that's recorded in the Old Testament. In Joshua, we find her. Her name's Rahab. Rahab the harlot. Rahab the prostitute. And we'll see how she has a role in the Christmas story as well, Lord willing. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer and we'll we'll dive into God's word. Father God, we come before your throne of grace and mercy, Lord. Thankful for this opportunity, Lord, to open up your word, to see what you've done in human history, your faithfulness, Lord, your steadfastness, your your unchanging... uh, attributes, Father, we're so grateful that um, we not only know who you are, how you've revealed yourself, but you've made a way to have relationship with you, God, that we can be your children through what Jesus has done. And so we give you praise this morning. We give you honor and adoration, Father, not just merely with our words, but with our time as we take this opportunity to dive into your word, to learn more about your goodness and who you are. And we're trusting, God, that your spirit would do a work in our hearts, that you would make us more like Jesus. And if there's anyone that's outside of Jesus, that your spirit, God, would do a convicting work that only you can do and demonstrate to those their need to turn from their own ways and receive and believe Jesus alone. Would you bring yourself glory in that, God, we ask. Bring glory to yourself during this time. We ask it in Christ's precious and powerful name. Amen. So last week, I'm sure everyone 
watch the sermon online, right? So I can just start off where I left off last week. All right, I got chuckles last night for them from that, but no chuckles this morning. Anyway, just joking. So last week we stopped off at Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, we, we ended our sermon with Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people that's undergoing persecution. They're doubting the, their decision to follow Christ. They were Jews and they were in the traditions of men. They heard the gospel message that Jesus was the Christ. They begin to follow after him and, and walk away from the law and keeping the, trying to keep their account clean before a holy God by obeying the law, but trusting in Jesus alone in that persecution began to be built and heaped upon them. The Jewish leaders did not like this because they were losing their power and their sway in the Jewish community. And so people begin to doubt and wonder if Jesus truly was the Messiah. The letter written to Hebrews, I got to slow down here, tripping over my tongue, Gracie. The letter written to Hebrews is a beautiful letter demonstrating how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. All the Old Testament pictures, the temple, and the high priests, and uh, all the priesthood, all that stuff was pointing to Jesus as the fulfillment. And he's trying to demonstrate that to them, hold fast to the confession of your, of your faith. We see that here in verse uh, 19 of Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus... He has inaugurated for us a new and living way, not the Old Testament in a temple with a veil that was a material veil. This, this new and living hope is found in the living Christ. He has inaugurated for, for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith trusting and believing that what God has promised, He will do. That's, that's my adding to the, to the word there. I wasn't in God's word. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Since He who promised is faithful, God is faithful in His promises. And we closed last week saying, let us when it's real easy to be discouraged in 2020 and we don't know, we're uncertain of the country and the political stuff going on and the, the pandemic, it's easy to be discouraged, but the call for, from Scripture for us is that we hold fast to the confession of our hope, our hope that is found in God's promises. And we are not to waver. Because why? He who promised is faithful. He's faithful. And let us consider, he goes on, one another in order to provoke love and good works, meeting together, having church together, doing life together, having community together is important. It's been the biggest struggle for me as a pastor because I know people want to stay safe. But I also know that people suffer spiritually when they're unable to meet with fellow believers. And so I'm praying that God would end this and that if anything, well, no matter what happens, as long as the Lord tarries, that we can meet together. We can do life together. Because God's word calls us to that. Let us consider one another 
in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather, to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We see it there in Scripture. Yes, we have to weigh out the health fears. But we also need to, everyone needs to examine God's commands in, the, in, the, in His Word. And everyone must make their own decision for themselves, but we, we can't neglect the fact that God calls us to, to meet together, to gather, to do life together. We're supposed to encourage one another, and we can't do that if we're not meeting on a consistent basis. So we go on here. Verse 26. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer a remains a sacrifice for sins. And so he's talking to a people that are um, thinking about going back to the Jewish, the, the Old Testament law and the traditions of their fathers instead of clinging to Christ. And he's saying, look, if you, that is not a good thing at all. He has a stern warning for them. That if they were to return, then the, the, the sacrifice that Jesus made was never evident, was never a reality in their lives because their hope is in something else other than Jesus. We go on here. I was confident that I got the rest of this verse out, but I didn't. So he closes up here in, in uh, Hebrews 10, this chapter that we just have, had gone through a little bit. He says this in verse 38, but my righteous one will live by faith. We are to live in this world by faith, by trusting and believing God and his promises. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. God's very serious about our walk of faith. We are to not draw back. We are to press on. We are to hold fast to the confession. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. Salvation is found in those who have faith in God and his promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. And as we will see, it has nothing to do with how righteous we are, how good we are, how good we can keep a list of commandments. It has everything to do with what you're placing your faith in. Or more precisely, who you're placing your faith in. But to those who have faith, those are those who are saved. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for. He goes in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is the great hall of faith. It's the hall of fame for the, for the football. You know, everyone that's really good at, you know, Broke all the records. They're placed into the hall of fame in, in football and other sports and stuff like that. In God's word, God has made it a point and allowed the, the inspired the writer of Hebrews to devote this entire chapter, Hebrews 11, to these people in the Old Testament that had faith. To provide these people who were struggling, and for us, some 2,000 years later, who might be struggling in our walk and might be discouraged. He's provided for us a whole list of people who trusted in God and his promises. 
And I remember when I first got saved, I was like, oh, I want to be like these guys. I want to be that, I want to have that kind of faith. Like, you know, it was going to be up to me to muster that kind of faith. And I could, I could be included. But then I began to study all these people that were in this, in this chapter of faith. And I found out something. <laughs> They're all broken. They're all humans, just like us. They didn't do things perfectly. They didn't have a long list of righteousness to add and show God how faithful they were. The reason why they're in the chapter of faith, the great hall of faith, is because no matter what faith they had, their faith was placed on God and His promises. And it is that for us as well today. The writer of Hebrews gives us this definition of faith. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for. We have a hope. The faith that we have is a reality of this hope because we are placing our faith and trust in God's promises. And faith is also the proof of what is not seen. We don't have eternal life, right? When I got saved, I didn't have someone come up and hand me a ticket to heaven with the gold stamp saying, right, or Jesus appearing to me. I'm by faith trusting that what God has promised and preserved in his word is what will get me, will, have, will purchase for me eternal life. So it's the faith that we have is, uh, the hope that we have is the proof of what is not seen. But as we talked about last week, there's coming a day when our faith will be a reality. I get excited. I start to smile when I think about that. You know? When we're, I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I know we're one day closer. There's coming a day can't wait to see Jesus. The proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. He says, look, the, the people of the Old Testament, they were approved not by their goodness or their good works. They were approved by their faith and trusting in God. The ancestors were approved by their faith. He goes on in verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Right? We look around and we see this billions of billions of stars and you know, the scientists say that if the earth was just tilted like one half a degree to more to the left or to the right, that we wouldn't be here. God, in his word, said that he spoke it into existence. That's how powerful and amazing is, our God is. And by faith, we trust that because that's what he's recorded for us. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. And then we jump to this person, Rahab, the prostitute, who's listed in the Hall of Faith. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. This is recorded in Joshua, in the Old Testament. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. And then the writer of Hebrews introduces us to Rahab. By faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. We see Rahab listed here. He was a prostitute. I think that's just a beautiful thing that God has preserved this and allowed Rahab to be written in the scriptures because I think across, well, more than likely, if we were going to try to win God's favor with our works and how good and how righteous we were, 
I think everyone would conclude that a prostitute is probably pretty low on the list of things that you're doing good to appease to a holy and just God. But this is the beautiful part of the gospel. Rahab is just a representation of all of us that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a beautiful picture that God truly doesn't save us by our merit or how good we might be. God only saves us by the faith that we have in his promises. Faith in Christ. And we'll see Rahab, why she's listed here in Joshua as we open up the uh, Old Testament. Going on to verse 32, And what more can I say? Time is short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jeff. And so he's concluding all these different people in the Old Testament that had faith in the promises of God. But in Joshua, we see the story of Rahab. And so Joshua was chosen by God to lead God's people into the promised land. The promise he gave to Moses that I'm going to deliver you out of Egypt. I'm going to give you a land. I will, I will prepare the land. I will make you settle in it. It's all on me. Don't you worry about it. And because of the unfaithfulness, the untrusting nature of the children of Israel, even Moses couldn't go into the promised land because he doubted God. God allowed them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years to build them up, to test them, to establish their faith. And ultimately, it comes to this crux where Joshua was chosen. God says to Joshua, you're going to lead my people into the promised land. And so Joshua here in Joshua chapter 2 sends two spies into the land to spy it out. And... um, to check out the opposition and what's going on and all that stuff. And so we find this story of the two spies being coming into Jericho here. And we'll see what God's word says. Joshua, Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And so we first see her introduction, Rahab's introduction to God's word. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent to two men as spies from, from the um, Acacia Grove, saying, go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So these two spies go to the house of Rahab, the prostitute, and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. So the king of Jericho is like, oh no, they're coming. We've seen them across the other side of the river. And we'll see why they're so fearful of God's people of Israel here in the words of Rahab. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, bring out the men. So they know that those spies went into Rahab's house. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. This is the king of Jericho. This is like the the equivalent of the uh, president of the United States saying, you must do this. And no doubt, her disobeying the king of Jericho would ultimately lead to a death sentence. Like if she was found out that she disobeyed and she, as we will see, instead of obeying the king, uh, hid the, the spies. This, this was huge. Rahab was a real person. She had to weigh these things out. She had fear. 
that she had to overcome with her faith, as all of us do. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. Verse 4, but the woman had taken uh, the two men and hidden them. So she said, yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they're going. So she's ultimately out lying, saying, I don't know where they went. Chase after them quickly. Go. Chase after them, and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. And the men pursued them along the road to the forge of Jordan. And as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. And before the men fell asleep, Rahab goes up to them. She went up to the roof and said to them, and so this is now her confession. We have her introduction. We know who Rahab is. And this is her confession to these men. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. Everyone in Jericho was afraid of the people of Israel. And she comes to them and her confession is, is I know the Lord has given you this land. What she's confessing is that she understands that God has promised his people a land and that he who promised is faithful. And so instead of choosing to obey the king of Jericho, she's choosing instead to have faith that although she was a Canaanite woman, a prostitute of a a Canaanite woman, Canaanites were the people that God had commanded the children of Israel to wipe out because of their sin, as punishment. She was one of those people that God said, because of their sin, when you cross into, your, to the, into the land that I've given you, wipe them out. But she sees here that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water in the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. They know who this God is. Rahab especially knows that this is, as she will say, the God of heaven and of earth. We have heard the Lord dried up the water. They know what this God has done for these people, and they're across the river Jordan, and she knows what's coming. His mighty hand will be extended. And the people are fearful because of it. And when you did, uh, when what you did to Shihon and Og, the two Amorite kings, you completely destroyed across the Jordan. So their, their reputation precedes them. When we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven and on earth below. He is the only God. So our confession is, I understand who God is, who your God is. And I know that unless this God extends mercy to me, I know I will be wiped out, along with every other person in Jericho. And so her confession turns into her plea. She pleads to these men, have mercy 
Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. So she's asking, look, I've extended kindness to you. I've hidden you. Will you likewise return kindness to me? That you will spare the lives not of only her, but of her father and her mother and her brothers and her sisters and all who belong to them and save them and save us from the death that is to come. The men answered her, we will give our lives for yours. Their answer is yes, mercy. We will give, in fact, we will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. So walls of Jericho, she's got a window view of the countryside. She allows them down by a rope. Go to the hill country, she says, so that the men pursuing you won't find you. We know, we know where the ruins of Jericho are, and so we know that there's a, a, a mountain range that goes up 1,200 feet outside the city walls of Jericho. And uh, that mountain is called uh, the Mount of Quadralantina. Quadralantina. And it's uh, the root word there is tens of, uh, four, uh, four of ten, so it's the, the mountain of 40. It basically is a rough tr- English translation. And they call it that because uh, history says that that is the mountain that Jesus went up and fasted and, and did his 40-day tempt- uh, bit in the wilderness. Scriptures don't say exactly where he done that, but tradition would say that that's where that happened. And so they call that hill the Mount of Quarantina. And I was reading that and I'm like, wow, that sounds kind of like a word that we're often using. And we see here in Jericho that that Rahab tells these, these guys, look, you need to hide. You need to separate. Go to this top of this mountain, Quarantina. And this is where tradition says that. And so Quarantina is the root word of the same root word that we use today of quarantine. To isolate. So just a little fun fact for you. So this is where they go to hide out. And the men said to her, we will be free from this oath. Uh, you made us swear. Unless we enter the land, you, you tie this scarlet cord, this red cord to the window through which you let us down. He's like, look, they're like, look, unless you put our, this red cord on the window that you let us down, we're going to go tell the armies, when you come to wipe out these Canaanites, this family that's in this house with the red cord, you must pass over. Rahab and her family have their own Passover. Just like as God delivered his people out of Egypt in the last plague, the last thing was the death of the firstborn for every Egyptian family and God said slay a lamb 
apply the blood over the post, and when the death angel comes and sees the blood, he will pass over your family. And by faith, they did that. They applied the blood above the, their door, doorpost, and, the, and they, their firstborn were, were spared. And, and God commanded his people to every year celebrate the, the Passover, that when God demonstrated his mighty power. But a Canaanite woman, as she pleased for mercy to a God she understands is the God of heaven and of earth, has her own Passover, the red scarlet above her window, will be the cause for the children of Israel to pass over her family and to deliver them. If anyone goes out of the doors of your house, his death will be his own fault. They're like, look, stay in the house. You're under that red scarlet sign. You, nothing will happen. But if you go outside of your house, that's your own fault. We will be innocent, but if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his death will be our fault. And, uh, and if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you have said. So like, if you tell on us or report what we're going to do, then uh, we're free of this oath that we've made to you. So we have this beautiful story of Rahab, the harlot, the prostitute, who understood who our God is. Her God is, her creator God. She understood her position to a holy and just God. She understood that the penalty that was to come to the Canaanite people was death. And so we can see these pictures of the gospel for all, all of us in the story of Rahab. And instead of siding with the king of Jericho and hoping that uh, their armies would somehow outdo the children of Israel, instead of that, she by faith placed her faith in the mercy of God by hiding the people, allowing them to escape, telling them where to hide to. And as the story goes on for Rahab, her family is saved. God is faithful. Her family is saved and she's married into the Jewish nation. She becomes assimilated into God's people. It's a beautiful story. She had lots to be discouraged about. She had some decisions to make. She was probably fearful of either outcome, right? Uncertain but she decided to place her faith in the God of heaven and of earth. And she became a part of God's people. It's the gospel message. And if you place your faith in what Christ has done and his accomplished work of his payment he applied for you on the cross, that although you deserve death, eternal separation from your God. He's also a God of mercy and he's made a way by placing our faith and trust in his promise of the Messiah and what Jesus has done, the reason for the season that Jesus has come to be our sacrifice, to be our vicar, to stand in our place, to take the penalty that we deserve so that we too will be passed over of the second death that is to come. It's an amazing story. Rahab had faith. That's why she's in the hall of faith. 
But why do I bring it up this Christmas season? She also has a role to play in the birth of our Miss Savior. Because not only did she become a part of the God's people, she is forever listed in the genealogy of the birth of the Messiah. And Matthew records the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and he does this, he opens it up because it's so important for the Jewish mind to understand that the Old Testament prophets prophesied that, that the Messiah would reign and sit upon the throne of David. They, he would be the lineage or geneal, have a genealogical tie to King David. And so he starts off with this Messiah as Jesus, and he says, this is his lineage to prove to you that what God has promised and prophesied in the Old Testament has been fulfilled. The verse, six verses here in Matthew. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the promise to David, the Davidic covenant. We've been talking in our series in Galatians of the Abrahamic covenant. The promise. Salvation's always been by what God would do, not through what we could do. And so he says he's the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, so he gives us the genealogy. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Aram. Aram fathered Aminadab, and Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. It's a beautiful picture. Our relationship and what God can do in our lives has nothing to do with who we are or what the world identifies us with. It has nothing to do with our past. God took a Canaanite prostitute and allowed her to be in the genealogical line of the Messiah demonstrate to us that God uses broken people because we're all broken. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And God has preserved the story like Rahab for us to say God can do anything he desires to do with us if we but have faith and trust that no matter what's going on in this world, no matter what can present to us to be discouraging. God can use us for his glory in an amazing and mighty way. And the story of Rahab shows us this. Church, he who promised is faithful. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a son of a prophet. I don't know what's going to be happening this coming year or the years to come before Jesus comes but I have the opportunity and privilege to tell you, hold fast. Hold fast to the promises of God. For he who promised is faithful. May that give you hope. May it provide us opportunity, no matter what happens before the Lord's return, may it provide us the opportunity to give the hope of Jesus to a hopeless world. For his glory's sake, we ask these things. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for salvation redemption we thank you Lord that it's not based on how good we are how righteous we are we thank you Lord for showing us that 
none of us measure up to your holiness. And it just makes Jesus all the more amazing that he did that for us to make a way that you look on us not with our our righteousness or unrighteousness, but you look on us, those who have placed our faith in Christ, you look on us with his righteousness. What a gift. God, help us to, to be your ambassadors. Give us courage and boldness, sugared with grace, Lord, to give this message of hope to those around us, that you'd receive glory in saving many before the Lord's return.